submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. I call this one Fandible Geeky Topics Roundtable Discussion Halloween Edition. <laughs> taxes, tax. Wait, what? Sorry, wrong heart. <laughs> Did you say taxis and taxis? That's a taxes. Taxes? Yep. That's truly frightening. Oh, we've got. I don't understand, sweetie. We've got all these taxes, but. Oh, God, if the saying's true, then death will be soon to fall. <laughs> oh, my God, the taxes are calling from inside the house. <laughs> Not the Senate. <laughs> God. Uh, you know, they're working on reform right now. Yeah. Right Yay. after. Yay. Oh, no, it's going to be great for people like us. You know? Yes. Yeah, it's the millionaires. Of the yeah, world. the upper 1% who make all of this money off of uh, podcasting. Yeah, 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 definitely. Exactly. We got in there at the right time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fandible.com Actual Play Podcast for a very special, but aren't they all, Halloween edition of Geeky Topics Roundtable Discussion. And I am joined here by the fiendish ghouls of Jesus, Daniel, Angela, and young William. Or is it today old William? (laughs) Yes, Yes, it's my birthday. Yes, yes, yes. When Uh, you are born, you begin begin to die. (laughs) Wasn't that from uh, SNL. Total Recall? Oh, okay. <laughs> Absolutely the same. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're sitting down here. It is October. This is uh, my favorite month of the year. This is uh, High Holy Days for me. Halloween is my favorite, favorite holiday. And it should be a bank holiday, and I shouldn't have to go to work. Uh, just me, the rest of you. Totally, <laughs> totally normal. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll just be on the train from sunup to sundown, or even past sundown, just dressed like a weirdo. And how's that, that different? Yeah, how's that different from every other day? Yeah. Is, what's funny is we're doing this GTRT right now, and I am for once not dressed up as something <laughs> as I have been for the rest That's of the true. month. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? I thought you were dressed up like a disappointment. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh. I just, don't move too fast, Grandpa. You'll break your head. <laughs> I'm not so old. I'm the youngest one here. You're not. I'm the youngest man here. Oh, okay. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Patriarchy is <laughs> patriarchally established. <laughs> is that a Illuminati symbol? Yeah, I guess it was more of a Triforce. <laughs> oh, wait, Patriarchy so the, gone. So the, so the Triforce is what? Power, wisdom, and dicks? <laughs> yes. The irony that that's what's going what's gonna to save Zelda is overwhelming. <laughs> There's that little uh, fairy that flies around, too. Hey! Hey! (laughs) Technically, well, actually. (laughs) It's like the mansplaining fairy. (laughs) Hey! Actually, women should be... I don't know. All right, so I've got some questions here for you, all Halloween or spook edition. um, And uh, spooky topics roundtable. And let's dive into it. But first, how's everybody doing on this fine October evening? It's going yeah, well. Yep. You know why it's going well? Because I had a great dinner just now. Made from the fresh ingredients of... What was that place again called, Dan? Uh, what? No. Where did we order from? What's that food we just ordered You didn't order from? anything, Dan. Didn't yeah. you get it uh, from Blue Apron? Yeah, and I don't share with you people. That's my food. Go away. 
But ah. that's because this is a dream, Dan. This is a dream that you're having while sleeping on a Casper mattress. You see, Casper <laughs> makes its mattresses out of the finest ingredients, all made right here in the good old United States of America. What Casper does is it manages to keep costs low and pass the savings on to you, the consumer. Every Casper mattress is hand-delivered to your door. Well, that's as far as I remember the ad. Yeah. <laughs> How many Sorry. Ever? Okay. Let's, let's get going. Yeah, cut that out. No free advertising. Yeah, exactly. No free food. No free ride, Casper. Yep. Yeah, Casper. I just realized the Casper mattress Halloween. Guys, come yeah, on. Yeah, that's yeah, a yeah, great yeah, cross yeah, yeah. There we go. Keep Casper, we know you're big fans. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Thank you. So, everybody, uh, my first question today is uh, about uh, a, a staple of of Halloween, of, of monster movies and monsters in general. And that is the issue of a transformation. Now, many monsters were at one point human, like the werewolf or the mummy, zombies, vampires. There is some sort of transformation that occurs that goes from the mundane into the monstrous. And my question to you tonight is, as role players, uh, what games, what tabletop games, because that's primarily what we're going to be focusing on this evening, what tabletop games offer an interesting take on transformations or have a certain emphasis on the idea of a transformation that the game revolves around? I guess the biggest one. Surprise, surprise, people. Billy is going to bring up Vampire the Masquerade. Never or, heard of it. No, yeah, it's one of those indie games. <laughs> but the idea... It, I mean, I don't know if you could say it does it well because earlier examples of mask of the masquerade uh, or falling to the beast, as you would call it, or losing humanity, would be like, "Oh, you stole!" It's like, "Well, I stole to save a fucking, you know, to give to an orphan." How does that make me lose? But yeah, whatever, yeah, 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 yeah. they didn't have the greatest humanity section. But it was kind of the first time I actually realized that there was a heavy emphasis on a personal horror and that descent from human to monster and i think they've done i think they've only gotten better i know with the uh, vampire the uh, is it requiem yeah. mm-hmm. uh, they've changed it up to be a little bit more personal and that's great but I, I just want to point out like you know if we're going to talk about transformations in to monsters for uh, role-playing games we have to bring up vampire the masquerades and not only just vampire the masquerade we have to bring up a certain uh, group in vampire the masquerade uh, one of the greatest monster groups of all time clans uh, we're looking at either Nosferatu or the Zamitsi. Mm. And I would say the Zamitsis are the bigger monsters because that's actually a choice where the Nosferatu, uh, that, that's more of a condition yeah. pushed on them. Where the uh, Zamitsis are, make that choice. Yeah. Maybe. Depends on what, on what literature. Some say it's a virus that makes them go that crazy. But anyways, Zamitsi and uh, Nosferatu and Vampire the Masquerade, great transformations into monsters. And when you start losing your humanity in Vampire, does it have like a physical yeah, re- actually, representation? Yeah, uh, actually, I think that when you're like level eight of humanity and up, you actually don't have to blend, uh, spend blood points to look like you're breathing or have your skin feel warm and stuff like that. You look human. Uh, later on, you start really lose when you start losing and getting down low. Jesus, Mother Mary That was the Joseph. ghost train right there. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's like a... To what? what? Why is that train made of suffering? <laughs> but when you start getting really low, you start noticing um, you're colder. People say your uh, your face looks more feral. You, you look more... Le- you look less human. So, yes, 
that is a huge thing for vampires is the lower your humanity is, the more monstrous people feel around you. Even if you look completely beautiful and alien and wonderful, uh, there's something about you, a coldness that makes people feel like they are prey. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that. And I like the fact that, I mean, I don't, I don't think werewolf from, uh, from white wolf or, or onyx path or whatever they are now, uh, really bears mentioning because werewolf is exactly what it says on the box. Whereas when you play vampire, you don't really know what to expect until you actually play the game. Mm -hmm. Werewolf, you turn into werewolves. It's pretty. Surprise! Yeah, it's pretty cut and dry. The only thing shocking about that is how unbelievably unbalanced in combat you are with (laughs) everything else that they have published or ever will publish. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. With vampire, I thought when I first started playing Vampire the Masquerade, it was a big it wasn't a shock, but it, I, it was surprising how well they, they they kind of got into the head of a person becoming something monstrous. And they even talked about, like, you know, in, in later books, how, you know, sex was still sex. It wasn't anything different, but, it you know, but taking blood was so much more enticing. And how your thought process was no longer of, you know, love and companionship and community. It was being twisted by the the power of your blood. Mm. So I always I always give them that. So for me, again, my answer would be a great transformation. At least I have to give them props because they were kind of the first would be Vampire the Masquerade and World of Darkness. Uh, how they handled the idea of a human becoming something darker. Mm. An eviler. Anybody else? Anybody else have a good one? I mean, I'll bring up, uh, sticking with the White Wolf uh, theme, uh, Demon, which we ran recently. Old uh, school or new school? New school. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, I know. I know you're you're a huge fan of old school. I'm I'm not. I, I'm I'm a old I'm a fan of old school, as in like I think this is a good like solo game to play with yeah, like yeah. one GM and one person. Get a group of them. It's like no, no, thank you. Okay. Uh, it's kind of like Wraith. I'm a huge fan of that game. I would never. I can't play it with anybody ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but no, for for uh, Demon uh, the Descent. Um, it's it's less of a. I mean, it, it just takes a completely different approach to, to transformation. First of all, you know, you are this machine. You that is who and what you truly are. So, like mo- most of the other White Wolf games, is like you're human, and then you became a werewolf, and then you became a vampire, and then you were kidnapped by fairies, etc., etc. Uh, in this one, like or right, you were human. Now you're dead. Um, with uh, with demon, you were never human, and you never will be. Um, you can. <laughs> you can ride the crazy train. We did that together. Um, you know, you you instead, you, your human face is literally a cover, a mask that you're just putting on and you're pretending. And that sort of approach to the attachment you may have to the life of the cover that you're wearing versus the attachment you have to your own existence and that push and pull there, um, it's, it's to me pretty interesting because at the end of the day every demon no matter how attached they are to their cover has to someday make that decision of like do i die do i die with this thing i'm pretending to be or do i just slow it off and become something completely different and keep existing and uh and that's to me a pretty a pretty interesting uh sort of take on that aspect of transformation uh and 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 sort of being something different than what you were actually born with. Kind of like a redemption story if you want it, or a survival story otherwise. Exactly. Yeah. But they can transform 
physically. Yeah, exactly. Soon, no, right? they they literally are these machines, and you can, uh, you know, transform. And the risk to you when when you physically transform is again, you're you're sort of putting aside that mask. You're you're no longer pretending. And every time you do that, you take the risk of the god machine or angels or whatever seeing you, seeing beyond that mask, seeing you for what you really are, and putting that cover in into danger. So every time you take the risk of pulling out your mechanical wings or your rivet arm or whatever it else it is, you're risking everything you've worked for with that cover. You're risking that chance that this is the last time I'll be this person. And when you say rivet arms, mechanical wings, and stuff like that, for people who haven't played it, what is a demon form like? Because they horrifying, might be... horrifying, and terrible. Yeah, I mean, literally, you're a machine. You are a a creature of fire and metal and suffering and and yeah, no, and circuitry and, and techno organic. Yeah, techno organic uh, uh, horror. So, so it's not like T one thousand or you can't. Anything. That's yeah, that no, that's an actual approach. I think one of you actually has that, that, that nanobot uh, form. Yeah, yeah, that's me. Yeah, but so. a more horrifying description would probably be if anyone ever seen it. Uh, Tetsu of the Iron Man. The Iron yeah, Man. Yep. Ooh, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is just. Oof. But yeah, no, you're you're basically yeah, you are this horrible, horrible beast. And uh, and again, the, the the you know the thing with the transformation there is that like a werewolf, you turn into a wolf, you come back, you're always going to come back to being who you used to be. Even a vampire, you're still some kind of shadow mm-hmm. of what of what you the human that you were before. Uh, with demon, every transformation might be your last, might be the last time that you ever are that entire cover that you've been uh, creating and cultivating and. And, and existing as for possibly years, one slip up and it's gone forever. That's a good point. That's a very. I think there's a lot more trouble with that, mm-hmm. and you get a little bit of that with vampire because you do have the masquerade mm-hmm. more so than the uh, humanity you have to worry about. Yep, yep. So th- that's a good point, though. I didn't even consider that. Jesus, any sort of transformation in your games uh, aside from uh, Cohen? So, because you're running Numenera now. Yeah, I am currently running Numenera. You're running Numenera, and um, you also Rotten run Capes, Rotten Capes, Metropolis. Uh, there's a few. Unhallowed Angela would actually have a good point about that because Moira mm-hmm. and her corruption, like Moira's oh, becoming right. more of a monster. Yeah, it's it's so slow in that game though. Like, Not to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, in order to to raise your corruption, like several. Things have to happen, and since I don't roll like David, it doesn't occur to me. Anymore. <laughs> uh, but but in terms of, of slower transformations, um, I would bring up uh, Star Wars: Force and Destiny. Uh, oh, yeah. One thing that's really interesting with the Fantasy Flight Star Wars games is that you can use all three of the core books together. Uh, what makes them different, aside from kind of the overall themes, is they each have their own kind of almost a, a morality or a humanity scale mechanic, you know, in Edge of the Empire, which all of us played, it didn't come into into play because it was a one-shot, but there is obligation. The idea that if you live on the fringe of the Empire, the only reason that you have survived is that you owe something to somebody. It could be a life debt, it could be money, it could be a favor, um, but that's the kind of the currency of Edge of the Empire. Whereas with Force and Destiny, because this is where you're playing Jedi and, and Force users, that's when you come into more, uh, into morality and uh, the, the light and the dark side of the Force, uh, to the point that if your morality drops low enough, if you become enough of a dark side Force user, the literal mechanics of the game change. Interesting. So that, you know, normally you are rolling your, your Force die, and if you are a normal player, you want light side points to come up, because you can use light side points with no penalty. 
if a light side point comes up for Billy, not only does he take a, a hit of uh, a strain, a strain, a strain yeah. but he has to flip over one of the destiny points. When the destiny points are, you know, they're the bennies of the system where if he flips one over, that's one more thing that I have in my arsenal to make shit harder for him. Oh, so you're trying to actively stay away from goodness. No, no, no. It's actually I'm trying to actively stay away from darkness. Oh, I see. If I want to use a light side point, it hurts me and I have to pay Angela. Uh, a dark side point, I could always use that. You could always use a dark side point. The only problem is later on you're corrupt. Like every time you use a dark side point, you have a tick like you have to say like at the end you're like i have 12 uh, i have 10 ticks interesting um and if you do that it's like okay roll a d10 and if it's under if it's under whatever you uh your ticks are at uh, uh you don't gain you, you raise your your morality by that the difference by by the difference but if it's over you have to lower it so the higher you so it's are kind of, it is it's like short term versus long term it's like Short term, using those light side points hurts more because of the strain uh, damage that you're taking and because of the destiny point situation. But long term, you don't want those corruption points because that's what ultimately leads you further into the dark side. And a good thing, and the thing that we aren't really touching on because we're only doing a solo shot is a dark sider. If you, if say we did have you guys along with Castian's ride, since he's a dark sider, he actually starts corrupting you. Um, I believe that's something that we were reading on. Like you, you, like it's harder for you to do good things, or you have to pay extra, or it's harder for you to make certain roles. It's just that he's a corrupting influence. That's really interesting. Um, And and physically, if somebody falls further to the dark side, a Jedi, they start physically changing. Right? They get ugliest that might be in the star wars lore because of course we know that the emperor went underwent a, a large physical transformation but the book does not have mechanics actually for that. it does it does the further you go into the dark side i was reading it in that uh that additional book oh in our yeah. Force supplement yeah Force supplement i've not read you it actually yet. um like if i got down to like t- under 20 i actually get a boost in some of my stuff but i lower my strain uh, threshold Oh, okay. And so the closer I get to like zero, I get stronger in some aspects, but I get weaker physically because as the dark side is like screwing with my body. But that is something that we haven't really had to touch on because I haven't made it under twenty yet. I've gotten yes. close. <laughs> I actually so got. Did you yeah. end the first season under over thirty? Uh, oh yeah, I think cold close to forty actually. Yay. I feel like we're talking about betting on a horse. Huh? <laughs> it's like what's the over under on your dark side? Yeah, but no, if you go under twenty and under ten, you start manifesting physically and that's with lowering your strain capability that's interesting Ooh. um i was just on a, a savage worlds uh website where somebody was trying to hack star wars and i thought of you too you know in savage worlds where you have the quote-unquote wild die mm-hmm. and that's the additional die that you can you know try to succeed with you roll it with everything somebody recommended that in a jedi game you would have a wild die you would have a light side die and a dark side die and the dark side die would always be one die type higher Interesting. And so every time you did something, the dark side would oh, there was a better chance that the dark side would offer you like an overwhelming success. But then you have to come up with a mechanic of every time you use the dark side die, you, and it basically using a strain and corruption system. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But I always thought that was really interesting to like explain because they were saying like we need to explain why people fall to the dark side. Period. Because it's, it's like, easy. Yeah, it's yep. easy, and it should offer you like a real a real easy out. Um, another person suggested. Uh, that uh, you you know in uh, Savage Worlds, if you roll your like you know two ones or whatever, then like there's no Benny you can spend, you're screwed. 
if you include the dark side die, then technically using the dark side die would also be like, uh, yeah, it's a three. I still fail, but I'm not screwed. I'm still right. technically hmm. using the dark side die. <laughs> um, so yeah, I thought of you. I thought of you guys because the the game you're using is it's it's designed for the system. It's very elegant. Um, we like it. We do like the fancy play. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's so a looking... more elegant system for a more civilized thing. <laughs> <than, laughs> uh, Star Wars joke. Nice. Uh, how about you, Young Keezy? Uh, thinking about it, there's not no mechanic for it, but rotted capes. Basically, the fact that you, all of you are transforming into less heroes while you're always a villain, uh, gold shot, but less, more morally compromised as the, as the game slowly goes on. Interesting. Especially with your association with An- Andrew Weston. Especially when you were in his dreams and then more understand his side of things. Because you were more able to understand his side of things, his view of the world, you began to understand, okay, I understand why you don't like metahumans. Maybe I can change you. But ultimately, if I'm running it right, maybe he starts to change. Instead of you changing him, he starts to change you guys. Uh, that's going to be a little harder, I'd say, on that one, mm-hmm. because I'm literally the person he wants to kill. For now. But, <laughs> no, no, I actually do have more sympathy, I know Torchlight does, for Andrew Weston, now that I realize he doesn't hate mutants. He hates how society put them on a pedestal. Yeah, yeah. I can get behind that. But maybe bombing a, 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 par- a parade isn't the perfect way to doing that. In his mind, at least you would know this, that was the only way to get his message out. Because he tried it the normal way. No, no, of course. And he got no. fucked. No, no, I, I completely understand him on mm-hmm. that point. But... No, 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 it's no, evil. But, yeah, it's no, evil. No, it is <laughs> But I think it's actually, that's a really good point. Yeah. Uh, my character did we, does. Didn't we find out in his dream, though, that the, those were not supposed to go off when they did? Uh, no, we found out later on. Like, he... The, the, the oh, sorry, by yeah. the way, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about our rotted capes. Uh, yeah. No, no. Game. Yeah, there was supposed to go off, but, early, yeah. but he mis- either he misplanned or somebody did something wrong, where basically some Girl Scouts were also killed. He didn't basically, meet, yeah. what happened, I viewed it as, is um, some superheroes on a plaque, and they saw like a, a bunch of Girl Scouts, like, you know, we love you, and they're like, hey, come on the plot, you know, go on, come on the float with us, or mm. something like that. They weren't, it wasn't supposed to be yeah. any kids there. Exactly. Nice. And it just, yeah. One of the yeah. things you didn't expect, if any, yeah. Yeah. I mean, to your point, though, Jesus, and I designed this character, uh, Shepard, Shepard, this way. I'm trying to do the reverse because Mm -hmm. remember, I'm 100% pro. Oh, yeah. Uh, the human league or whatever. I know what you're trying to do. Um, and, uh, and, and Shepard is already a monster. Yes. He's a murderer. He is a humanist. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, he's already, far down the rabbit's hole when yeah. it comes to rationalization yeah. for awful things. Which is and, why I love when you introduced the idea, at least to me, of Zeke. And how he, uh, the how far you could go, especially in the world. Like, uh, you were already bad, but in a world of zombies, it's it's easier for you to go into something darker. <laughs> yeah. I love Zeke. He's not a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he just turned back towards the warehouse of horror. Yeah. He left. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, and so uh, uh, I'm trying to do the opposite of, like, for instance, like, becoming actually friendly with the freaks and the and the criminal and things like that. And you do a really good job of uh, kind of pulling in, uh, in, in both directions um, with, but in that game, there's also monsters yes. in particular zombies. And you introduced in one game, a zombie that could mimic normal people for a small amount of time, I believe. Didn't, uh, um, is that your game or Billy's game? I think it was Billy. Was, was it that Billy's game? Somebody. Somebody had a zombie in, in rotted capes in a distance that, like, ate somebody by pretending to be a normal person. 
I remember. I'm was it a crazy. Super Z or regular zombie? If I know, we didn't go close. No, no, yeah. It was a regular <laughs> zombie that basically kind of mimicked. Like, from a distance, it looked like a regular person. Exactly. But if someone claimed close, it just ate him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, it could wave. I yeah, think yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, yeah, are, I remember, those I remember are actually now. in the book. Like, they're yeah, called yeah. mimics. Where yeah. They can't really do much, but they can be like, hey! Yep. And then you walk towards them, and then this attack. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's not... Yeah, we're not going to get any closer to those yeah, things. Um, but but for the for the transformation, the physical transformation part, um, what in particular do you have like a favorite zombie for uh, for rotted capes? Because there's the weird plasma oh, yeah. zombies. I'm very worried about what his answer is going to be. Uh, weird. Pl- do, do I have a favorite zombie for rotted capes? Don't, uh, David? don't you say it. Don't I think you, there like was a type of it. zombie, not like a particular zombie, <laughs> a type of zombie. No, okay, no. What I, I don't have a particular zombie or a type of zombie. My favorite type of zombie are the super seas, mm-hmm. mainly because. They are essentially their regular selves, but without any sense of morality. Mm-hmm. They are pure Sith, if I was going to use a Star Wars reference, where basically, like, it's all about what they want and what gives them pleasure. And what Which gives them pleasure is eating them. Not people. just eating them, but like messy with them before they, like, uh, like, uh, the patrician. Like, the first time you met him, he ate like a, uh, a father and his kid right in front of you, and it gave him joy to see you suffer. So they're the cats of the undead world. They, ex- exactly, yeah. exactly. Cats are dicks and so are zombies. Yep. I'm just imagine seeing with the patrician in the family just looking at you. Pat, pat. Pat, pat. <laughs> off the building. Yeah. Off the building. <laughs> never breaks eye contact, just <laughs> knocking kids off the building. That's awesome. Yep. Uh, for my own part, I... I also, also. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, we can go. I, yeah, I, I, Angela, I knew what I had done and I was trying to steer us back on course. <clears throat> uh, uh, for my own part... Uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, the various diseases uh, in Shadowrun, mm-hmm. in particular the human metahuman vampire virus, HMHVV, uh, which manifests in uh, people turning into vampires and ghouls and banshees, personal favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, you haven't run into a banshee yet. Um, uh, Wendigos, a uh, whole nine. It's, it really runs the gamut. Is there any way to cure a full-on ghoul to a Back to a human, or is it no? as far as science says no? Okay, so once yes. they reach the final level, they're banshee, they're yep. vampires, they're they are they are done. Uh, yep. Best case scenario is they are non-feral and they can not kill anybody and go to the sewers or wherever. Well, yeah, but you know, not but anybody with the ghoul bias, we can all agree, are just not human, so they should just be exterminated. I mean that is uh, that is the contemporary thought process for many law enforcement. Well, it's science. Yeah. It's science. They don't have souls. <laughs> sure. We're gonna get. Well, some... I'm just curious about vampires. Like vampires, is that they're uh, ghouls? Clearly, look horrendous and scary as hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are vampires treated differently? Are they better suited? Like, is it actually popular, or is it like no? They're still like a restricted class. No, right? it's all outlawed. Okay, it's, it's all outlawed because because the one unifying. Uh, aspect of HMHVV is contagious, that shit. it's contagious and also you eat flesh the least uh the the least aggressive is the ghoul virus um but vampires for instance don't create blood anymore so they have to drink essence and blood and it has to be human flesh or metahuman flesh uh yeah it has to be uh metahuman flesh um that's why most ghouls like go underground and then just eat Unfortunately, Seattle has a lot of dead bodies <laughs> that just kind of die. And so ghouls will scavenge off like where gang fights happen. But what Chile. about banshees? Like, what do banshees eat? Uh, They're ghosts, if right? I, if I recall correctly, that well, a banshee is a elf that got bit by a very specific <clears throat> branch of this virus. Oh. And um, it all equates to essence loss. So 
uh, banshees basically physically eat your life so, life force. Yeah. Uh, are banshees a little bit like the witch from uh, Left 4 Dead? Yes. Cool. Yeah, yeah. They are. They are no <laughs> joke. And <clears throat> and and uh, yeah. And then you've got like what happens if a troll gets bit? Totally different than if a dwarf gets bit. Uh, dwarves are where goblins come from. Um, oh. Yeah, basically any negative aspected fantasy creature can come back to this this uh, this disease. Centaur. Uh, centaur is actually a is actually not. I believe it's just a variation on an actual normal troll. There are some. You can have like variations on normal babies oh. that are different types of. So, for instance, um, what's Pan again with the goat satire? A satyr is, uh, uh, they're, like, a kid can be born a satyr. It's just extremely rare. Ah. Um, but then if they get they get infected with this virus, everything goes weird. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so with, with Shadowrun, I love the transformation aspect beca- of, of this virus because it's ubiquitous. Because everybody, especially all of your characters, be it Shadowrunners or EMTs and uh, Saints of Suffering, deal with the potential of being infected with this and having completely different um, issues with that. Magic users, obviously more tasty, but for instance, ghouls can't have cyber wear. What happens if you're infected and it goes to level three and you have as much cyber wear as Angela's character does? Oof. Huh. Yeah. I'm curious. One, one question. Has there ever been like an outbreak that like took over an entire city? Um... An entire city off the top of my head? No. Okay. Because, yeah. No, the the most you get is finding out that people are, in fact, secretly vampires. Oh, okay. Um, because vampires are just as fucking tricky in, in Shadowrun as they are anywhere else. Right, and they can yeah. probably, they easily hide it more than the ghouls. Yeah, exactly. So ghouls, I mean, you can almost always see a ghoul unless they're, like, particularly clever and, like, disguising themselves. But they're not because they have no soul. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, vampires totally do that. Uh, and, uh, and, and so, yeah, that's, <clears throat> that, that in itself is, uh, is a problem. But I don't think I'll check. I honestly, listeners, let me know if I'm wrong on this one. Shout out on the fans. I know you'll <laughs> let me know. Um, They're typing before we even post this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, I, as far as I know, there's n- not been some sort of overrun or anything like that. Um, cool. Yeah. Well, yet. Mm-hmm. There's always more things to throw at you guys. I gotta end one of those games one way or another, guys. Maybe it'll just be in a wave of ghouls. Um, thanks, Train. Wave of ghouls. Name my band. On a wave of ghoulation. It's kind of like a flock of seagulls, but uh, oh yeah, worse. Time. Infinitely worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's the collective noun for ghouls, you guys? Wave, apparently. A wave. Mm-hmm. What a about shambling. a groan? A groan. Yeah, it's on the internet. So. A husk. A husk? Ooh. A shuffle? Hmm. A thriller. A thriller! Fuck! Yeah. Oh, <laughs> damn it, I was trying to come up with that! Wouldn't it be a thriller with zombies, though? Uh, uh, zombies don't really exist they, in Shadowrun. Yeah, they no, they, Yeah, dude. Yeah, <laughs> dude, come on. That's not even realistic. What are you <laughs> zombies. Wait, so those are some zombies in Shadowrun? Uh, there's no. magical zombies, I yeah. bet, but there's no, like, disease oh, zombie. Okay. Ghouls are okay. the de facto zombie. Okay. Because they, those are ferals. They're feral ghouls. Yeah, exactly. And those are the ones that you really want to look out for. Okay. Um, right. They're filthy. Because they don't have souls. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yep. Well, none of them have souls, but yeah. the ferals are just feral. Um, we're we're going to get ghoul litters. We're going to get ghoul litters? <laughs> I just do it because I know a couple of our people are like, 
they play Shadowrun and they're like totally oh, goal right. rights. And I'm like, nope, they're monsters. <laughs> yeah. And they hate that. In yep. my defense, I threw a fireball at them. That's not really the, defense. The, the I just like it. It's like, yeah, your Shadowrun Prime characters. I'm proud of that dichotomy too. Your Shadowrun Prime characters are like, ghouls equal bad, kill ghouls. Yes. No, no, no. Ghouls equal money, kill, <laughs> kill ghouls. Yeah. Yeah. Shroud. Shroud of ghouls. A shroud of oh, ghouls. I nice. like that. Thank you, Ange. A shroud of ghouls. Uh, yeah, but your, your Shadowrun characters are, are live and die like your, your mercenaries. Yeah. So you're like, yeah, fucking kill ghouls. I don't care. Yep. Your EMT characters are like, ghouls were people. <laughs> uh, and we don't kill people. So. Ghouls equal money, so heal them. That's also awesome. Ghouls were people, some yeah. of which have insurance. <laughs> oh, wait. This one has blue card, blue cross, blue shield in their wallet. <laughs> you're all right, Mr. Smith. <laughs> it's like trying to bite you. It's like, it's okay. What's that? You need some Prozac. We got that. <laughs> so, uh, next on the, on the list of, of, of murder and mayhem is specifically a question about murder mysteries. Murder mysteries are a wonderful, uh, narrative structure, narrative, uh, arc for uh, a good role playing game, but very difficult to do. Uh, and if you want to do a murder mystery, what exactly would the structure be to pull off a tabletop RPG murder mystery? Now, remember, this is an actual mystery. So how would you line up the mystery? How would you dole out information? How would you even, what would your notes look like? Because you couldn't do some sort of sandbox like, well, we'll just see where it goes because then it's not going to be a mystery. A mystery is inherently trying to, you're trying to outwit your readers, or in this case, your players, but only until the point where they outwit you. And that's when the mystery is solved. So what's the structure for doing that in a role-playing game? I mean, I guess I could talk about how not to structure <laughs> a murder mystery. Oh, you could? Come oh, uh, Indeed, indeed. Uh, you may recall a while back there was a blimp. You were all on in a Hollow Metropolis game. Mm. Where the murder mystery is... Just a little while. Yeah. Just a little while. <laughs> just, oh, yeah, you just said that. A little while ago. <laughs> Please, that was back when, like, Billy was 30. <laughs> I was. I was under 30. Yep. Uh, I'm still younger than all of you. We've heard <laughs> no, enough about your Star Wars drop. character being under 30. Yep. Sweet summer child. <laughs> Boom. Full circle. And you noticed that you discovered a dead body of somebody without a head, without... I think, yeah, without a head or arms and almost chucked out of the blimp. And we fucked it. And you <laughs> fucked it. And you were trying to figure out who did it. <laughs> the look on Exodus' faces. <laughs> oh, you, you guys don't remember that? You don't remember that old man? <laughs> it was in the game. And near the end, I gave you this give reveal of who the murder, who the, And you were who, so proud of the who, this reveal. Yeah, you found like this, uh, luggage. He's like, oh, it belongs to blank. Winston Merriweather. Yeah, yeah. And all of you looked at me blankly. I'm like, I did mention it, right, to you guys? I'm checking my notes. Oh, no, I never... never, you never mentioned the name. <laughs> no, yeah. Because so, we... literally everybody else in that dining room we met by name. Except for the one character I needed to have you talk to. Yeah, and the best part is Angela, because Angela smelled uh, a mystery, uh-huh. and she's already a prolific note-taker, but this was, like, some of her finest work. Because <laughs> well, she... it, so, it was so set up, like, the, the setup was totally murder on the yes. Orient Express. Yep. We were in a uh, conveyance that had no exits... There was a limited number of people on board. Uh, there would be records of exactly who was on board. So I was like, yes, mm-hmm. murder on the Orient Express in a blimp with vampires on it. All right. So who are these people taking notes on it? <laughs> who? <laughs> yeah. Who's, who's Mary Weather again? Yeah. 
And as what basically happened is, at least after thinking about it after a while, number one, I did plan it mostly, but I also have a tendency to do things by the seat of my pants, and you can't yeah. do that for a mystery. Yeah, yeah, you cannot at all. Like that. Yeah, so basically, uh, since I like to do things, I get so excited about like the creatures that you're facing that I, I guess during that entire meeting, is like, yeah, you're meeting some people, but bird people. <laughs> and I, I will say, the, that's where we met the Nocturne yes. for the first time, mm-hmm. and those guys are fucking terrifying. Yeah, yeah. So, I, A plus monster, <laughs> yeah. uh, E for effort no, no. on the actual mystery side. Yeah, I fully admit I got more excited about the Knock Raven coming to kill you than like the actual mystery. I more was more excited about the murder than the mystery. No, it's, <laughs> and that's fine. I think the biggest point to take away from this, honestly, is just to make sure all your information that needs to get out is, is, is given out. Yes. Um, but it, that can also be difficult when you're in a group because sometimes when you're in a group, you the party is tends to split up. And especially with our characters, we don't, we don't usually, um, what was it, metagame? So we might know, like, Dan knows this piece of information, but our character doesn't know. So yep. we will literally just do nothing yep. also, until Dan awkwardly says, like, oh, by the way, he just mentioned this. And then we're like, oh, there, I've been waiting for that. Yep. Or something along this line. I just grabbed Dan because he was right there. Yep. But yeah, it's, it's a little difficult, uh, murder mystery, doing murder mysteries with groups unless you keep them all together. Which is hard to do because we've already established a long time ago, like, both uh, you and Angela, sorry, Billy and Angela and uh, Dan and David are at least socially two different circles. Mm-hmm. For, for Unhallowed Metropolis. Oh, for Unhallowed Metropolis. Yeah. So they're, and life. And, and life. life. And life. Honestly, yeah. I don't know why we're still in this apartment. Uh, but, but basically because of that, there's moments where you can't talk to each other for yeah. different circumstances, which makes things hard. Yeah, I would – how much do numbers play an issue in running this game? Number of characters, number of players. Do you think that it gets easier the smaller the table gets? For a murder mystery? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Oh, Prob- yeah. At least my guess. I'd- I don't know. I would say because if it's just one or two people, then you're spoon-feeding everything to just one person. Mm. And think about something like uh, like Veronica Mars, where, yes, you've got one person. You know, Veronica is our, our, our investigator, but she's learning – you're not just spoon feeding her everything. Like it's very much a, a collective effort. Mm. So like, it sounds like one of the things that you would have to mitigate the most is splitting the party up. Everybody would have to have a reason to be together. And that might come across as a little forced, but at the same time, like it sounds a lot better than hurting cats because you're, you're eking out this, um, you're eking out this information. So logistically, would it be well? First thing that happen, that that comes to mind if you're gonna if you're going to make a murder mystery logistically, it makes sense to make the characters. Yeah. It makes the most sense if you're gonna have uh if you're gonna have a, a a murder mystery where they're going to investigate a body and you let everybody make their characters and you got like two acrobats and uh like a person who then if you wind up with like two tumblers and a person who raises like dash hounds. Uh, for a living, and then they're presented with a body, and everyone's like, "Yeah, I don't know what to do here." It's like, "Okay, well, my murder mystery is going to go real slow." Mm-hmm. So I think it makes mo- the most sense to make the characters, and clearly, hopefully, you know, you know the you know the system like uh, back of your hand. I'd say make the characters, or at least know the characters. Mm-hmm. Like if mm-hmm. if you like Unhallowed Metropolis, he knew what our weaknesses and our 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 skills were, so he could design the murder mystery to really shine a light on those yeah so but you're right you need to 
a murder mystery is very important that you have the right characters with the right mystery because if they don't have the skills you are not going to get some of the information. Mm-hmm. Oh, also make it compelling. That would be a real that that's something that I think I, I know I overlook in uh in, in some of the games I in some of the games I've run is make a very compelling reason why they want to go explore this mystery. Yeah, why are these characters the ones who are pressed with solving it? Exactly. Um and I'm not above the aura bomb goes off hmm. um uh extension for a for a for a story, write down your story, and then just add the last line or a bomb goes off, <laughs> because just give something immediate and tangible and frightening to the players that will motivate them, that will be a fire underneath them, uh, and also don't let them, uh, don't let don't offer an authority figure that can do something for them. So, for instance, look at Sherlock Holmes; he would never have Lestrade. Uh, the the police uh, the police officer Lestrade do anything for him because Lestrade is a friggin' buffoon. Hmm. Uh, he is he is Scotland Yard, and he does have to contact him, but he's a moron when it comes to when it comes to solving crimes. Uh, so I'd say like definitely definitely do that for a murder mystery. Can you guys think of a system that this would be gumshoe? Oh. Gumshoe? No. Gumshoe. You know, I've never played it. Yeah, Gumshoe, been, I think, he's is the been best. Out, he's been out on every single time that yeah. we've played a, a Gumshoe game. Gumshoe is good because my problem with, with murder mysteries and RPGs is specifically the system and the skills. The investigate skill. That's it. Hmm. That's all you'll be using. And you're letting your entire game be dictated by that. People walk into the room and roll, roll investigate. investigate. Yep. Roll investigate. Roll investigate. And if they don't get good rolls, all of a sudden your game is stuck. If they get too good a roll... All of a sudden, half your plot never happened. Yes. So Gumshoe basically says, like, no, there's effectively no investigate skill. You always succeed in investigation, which gives you, the GM, the freedom to hand out the info, the plot, and the secrets <coughs> at the pace that you want. Because you're never at the mercy of the dice in terms of the mystery and the plot and the clues. You're and, at the mercy of the story. And the player agency comes in that there is a set of, of investigation right, skills. Right. Uh, but they're they're very granular. It's things like pop culture, or uh, I, I can't think of any other ones. But you know, they're they're things. They're very specific interests that your character might have, and you have a points pool in each of these categories. So if uh, you know that this, uh, you're you're getting the uh, the clue from the head cheerleader at the school. Well, this sounds like it's a piece of gossip. So you know what? Yeah, I'm going to get the basic information from this cheerleader. But if I spend a point of my gossip pool, then that's me signaling to the GM, this is something my character is really interested in. I've spent the point in the economy here. So the GM's like, all right, you've spent a point, so you get a little bit more. It's not just that she tells you where the quarterback was on Saturday night. It's she tells you where the quarterback was on Saturday night, and you know she's lying. Or and you can tell she's jealous. You know, you get you get something more than just the base clue. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That sounds really cool. Uh, I'll keep avoiding it, like uh, across <laughs> to a vampire. Uh, and I'll add, David. You asked earlier. You know, what do your notes look like for a mystery game? Mm-hmm. Um, when I've run Bubble Gumshoe, I build my plot backwards. Interesting. It's like, all right, the mystery is this person's dead. Well, who was there? So I. So the first thing I figure Ooh. out is. Who done it? So I know the most important. <laughs> I know the answer to the most important question first. All right, what did they do before that? Well, they had to acquire the weapon. So this is who knows who sold them the knife. Wow! And you, you build it 
backwards from there. Smart. And then mm -hmm. it's no longer a linear plot. So you never know. Like, this is also a difficult thing with, um, with mysteries. Um, sometimes you, it's very tempting to set it up as, oh, they won't know this unless they know that. Mm. But we are, that's sure you can totally do that in a novel, in a TV show. But at a gaming table, you can't. Yeah, that makes sense. So by setting it up more as, you know, here are the different players that are involved. And this is the, you know, setting up, setting up more like a like a bubble map, like when you're brainstorming something. Mm -hmm. Setting up that way. So it's like, okay, if they go over here, this is the information they can learn. If they go over here, this is the information they can learn. And then it's it's less, oh, you can't know this unless you know that. It's, you might learn this clue first, but you're not going to you're not going to even know necessarily it's a clue until you go talk to another person. Wow. Yeah, that is wildly useful. I mm -hmm. would not have thought of that. Thank you, Angela. It's uh, totally different from how I normally build mine because, so yes, I come to the table with a bunch of notes, but they are bullet points of these are possible encounters. And it's like, no, these are the necessary encounters now. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm just never going to run one of these. <laughs> um, that sounds like it's a lot of work. It, it's tough. Um but it's also some of the most rewarding GMing I've done. Um, I've run at cons. I've run my Lois Lane bubble gumshoe, where it's it's teenage Lois Lane and friends solving mysteries in uh, in Metropolis. Oh, cool. And watching those people like when they get that last clue, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I understand not just what happened, but why." It's <laughs> like, "Yes, you did. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your con. Nothing else is going to be as good as this." <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I, uh, I, the closest I ever came to doing something like this was I ran a LARP that was, uh, uh, it was a World of Darkness LARP. It was a Giovanni, uh, vampire LARP. Um, and because, because like interviewing witnesses is so much better <laughs> only after they're dead. Um, <laughs> there was actually a line of dialogue where, um, um, uh, where the Don Giovanni was just like, was like, well, we'll talk to Rocco. we uh, bring him in here. It's like, can't, he's dead, boss. And Giovanni just like pauses, like, then bring him in here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's not an obstacle for us. Oh, it Have was you great. Forgotten? Yeah, it was great. We got uh, we got narrators to uh, assign a bunch of different ghosts, and the way we uh, played ghosts just because we needed to kind of uh, retcon it is that ghosts only remember the last couple of minutes of their life, um, and and so yeah, so that they couldn't like spill the whole uh, ball of wax or whatever. You know, I know my terms. I know my, I, I read a lot of mysteries, you guys. I, I read a lot of mysteries. Um, all right. So this is, this is Halloween and it's supposed to be all about scary things. We've covered things like monsters and murder, two of my favorite names. Mm -hmm. Um, but we all run a bunch of different games, a wide, wide spectrum of games. And my, just based on scary things, what what is your favorite scary thing from a game that you have ran or are running now? And the reason I'm asking that is because as the storyteller or the game master of a game, you know a lot more about the game and its narrative than the players do. So you've probably traipsed upon something in that GM book or, you know, some sort of implication in your own notes where you've pause and been like that's fucking horrifying even if it is bubblegum shoe um or you know i thought of hex uh angela was like i was like there's got to be something dark out there that we that she was just keeping us away from um but uh yeah so is there something about your favorite game or a game that you run that is like spooky as shit and that you haven't that you haven't brought up now obviously if we're running a game right now and you're planning to do it don't bring it up now but 
Is there anything, uh, yeah, in, in your game? So for instance, like I Shadowrun, all of the ocean. Like I know it's in there. <laughs> I know it's in there. I introduced mermaids once. Everyone still is scared of boats. <laughs> like, and yet you keep putting us on them. I know it's great. And then I, yeah, and then I inter- introduced a uh, uh, the giant, giant manta ray. Giant manta ray. Yeah, like the ocean to me is terrifying. And so stuff like that for uh, for Shadowrun, it's not the supernatural stuff. It's the extra natural stuff. So you know, like in in ghosts and magic and griffins and shit. That's all well and good. But the idea of, like, what happens if a magical something fucks a non-magical something, and then they have a kid, like, what, like where does that go, what survives, what breeds, and then you have extra natural stuff. Um, uh, so, for instance, like, in Shadowrun, devil rats are a thing, and those are supernatural rats that just killed all natural rats and then interbred. So now all rats in major cities are giant, like small dog sized, intelligent, flesh eating rats with mild supernatural powers. That is horrifying. <laughs> like, can you imagine how fucking horrifying that is? <laughs> and that is a fact of life for you guys. That is a fact of life. I love that shit. But yeah, the extra natural stuff in a, in a magical setting is, is the stuff that I, that, that like creeps me out. And when it creeps me out, I put it in like the mermaids, <laughs> evil mermaids. Mermaids are all well and good, but what if they were, what if they were awful? What if, what if they lied to you? Like, for instance, I, I, I want to do some sort of knockoff of the tooth fairy. <laughs> like, some sort of like I was thinking of, uh, I was thinking of uh, either a Billyverse game or, uh, uh, uh Victorian, uh, Unhell Metropolis. Like, so it's a lot about twisting different, uh, myths, right? Think about the Tooth Fairy. It's a creature that comes into your child's bedroom at night and takes a tooth and then leaves. Now, if you were... And pays you for it. Yeah. If you were sugarcoating that, you would say it's a woman dressed up like Glenda the Good Witch, and there's nothing to be scared of, and it's going to take the the tooth that's under your pillow, and it's going to pay you. No, the the tooth fairy is uh, the tooth fae, fairy. Yeah, uh, yeah the, no, the tooth fairy is is just a uh, fake propaganda. It's, <laughs> it's meant to get children used to the idea of selling parts of their body to the fae. I mean, Whoa. come on, that's nice. Because yeah. okay, like as soon as you mention it, the the tooth fairy in terms of horror, it's like, uh, yeah, isn't the most powerful magic powered by body parts? Mm-hmm. You know, usually, blood. Blood is the the most. Um, you know, common because it's it's easy. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to kill somebody to get their blood. Mm-hmm. But this is not only a, a tooth, you know, literally bone, but it's a tooth from a child. Yeah, innocence. Yep. Oh yeah. So what if it's uh, what if the tooth fairy is like something that it's like a it, it's a deal that a family makes with like an old like an old witch, and it's like we can't give it to you. Like you can't hand her something. Part of the pact is it needs to be placed by a child in innocence and like the pact is under a pillow and then she takes the tooth and then like the family finds some sort of prosperity but what happens to the child because the child is at the beginning of its life that's a long time to cash in an old contract well there's that is we can also do the reverse the child is the beginning of the of its life what if the tooth fairy isn't making a deal what if the tooth fairy is literally protecting the child by getting rid of something oh because there's something worse out there Worse, or maybe the child, like you know, by losing, by by losing that tooth and giving it to the tooth fairy, the fairy is able to protect it or stop an evil that's growing inside it. 
If anybody's ever seen the uh, skull of a small child before their teeth <laughs> uh, have all grown in, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm with Billy. The, the, the <laughs> tooth fairy is protecting us from that shit. Yeah. It's terrifying. Maybe it's only specific children. Maybe, maybe it's looking for something. What if it's neither? What if the tooth fairy is looking for one very specific type of marrow? And it just keeps collecting teeth over and over until it finds a very specific type of DNA. Thank you, Kat. Mm-hmm. I don't even know why anymore. <laughs> don't look at me like you're all innocent. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that running over all of these empty cans would make that sound. <laughs> so, yeah, what if the Tooth Fairy is neither good nor bad? What if it's looking for something? And what is it looking for and why? Why Why is it teeth? Why isn't it toenails? You know, like, ah, real monsters. <laughs> That always grossed me the fuck out. I couldn't watch that show when I was a kid, by the way, because the idea that toenail clippings are money to them. Oh, I love that show as a kid. It was a good show. I couldn't watch Ren and Stippy because they had too many body airwax stuff. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, that show was weird. So listeners, give us your Tooth Fairy theory in the comments. Hashtag Truth Fairy. For me, it wasn't a specific most. I remember a while back we used to play Supernatural all the time, man, because I loved running a supernatural, I kept going through differing uh, legends and creatures from myth. And there was one I found, a Japanese monster, that that was just disgusted me. And I couldn't think of any way to put it in without even making myself kind of wretched. There's one guy, uh, there's one creature where basically it's a, a naked man who's on all fours. But uh, he, but basically he chases you on all fours, but it's the back end that chases you. Ah. And out of the, out of the butthole is an eye. Mm-hmm. And it just basically that's 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 the monster, but just that's it. But like thinking is like this is disgusting. I and I just it was like I wanted to throw up a little in my mouth wow. just thinking about it. the that's origin some... story of Florida man. <laughs> <laughs> that's some that's some uh, that's some Cronenberg uh, 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 yep. stuff right and, there. And not only that, but I thought okay because I also like to turn uh, get creatures of legend in my Hollow Metropolis game. If there was a Japanese empire. And as you face a creature like that, what would the unhallowed metropolis version of that creature uh, look no, like? Nope. That's nope. a lot of butt demons. Yeah, that. that's a lot of butt demon stuff going on. But thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's. What if we were fighting it and, my, and Byron had to scream, "Quickly, fire at it! Pound it! Go!" <laughs> <laughs> Don't fire until you see the white of its butthole. <laughs> <laughs> Just put that on his <laughs> put that on his gravestone. It's yep. what, what he wants. <laughs> yep. Famous last words. Oh, this is me, life. Pound it in the button. I heard it when I said it. <laughs> Tangle this, you son of a bitch. Uh, yeah. So I guess a, a, a better, larger question um, is: Is there a particular monster you would like in your in your game? That Japanese monster is terrifying, yeah. and I'm not going to sleep well tonight. <laughs> yep. Um, it's looking at you. <clears throat> and like we've covered the, uh, the, the tooth fairy. Yep. Uh, is there, uh, an, another kind of monster or, or entity that you could make monstrous? And I know that Billy's probably got a couple ideas. Cause remember, uh, two years ago we did what Cupid would be like in the, in the Billy verse. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that was really interesting. And we just covered the tooth fairy. Is there like an, is there like an innocuous, in- innocuous, is there an innocent, uh, childhood? Uh, yeah, actually, I was I was actually thinking of uh, original changeling. 
Uh, not mm-hmm. not not the new one where you get kidnapped, but the the one that was the hey, good I'm one. Unclear which um which set of mechanics is this? Uh, old world of darkness. But what what exactly happens in old world of darkness? And you roll dice and things happen. <laughs> um, but and awesome things happen. Yeah. No, but this is like old old like old school change. Where magic is everything. Everything's magic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nope. Everything's Burn magic. And uh, so the the thing is, the whole point of the game is that it it's it's meant like to be childhood wonder and magic. Like the, the you know, characters are on average teenagers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as soon as you hit like eighteen, you're a grown up. You're you're a grump, yeah. and you, and the magic inside you is already dying. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and um, the thing is, like, the game treats you know, it's there's dragons and magic and fairy tales and castles, but it's all about dreams or imagination and so the aspects are there of uh you know nightmares and, and dark dreams and and, and and dark imaginary friends and all that stuff but the most frightening thing within the game um is not those monsters it's showing up to school naked on the day of the test mm-hmm. no no that'll get you some glamour uh <laughs> no uh it's 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 losing that sense of childhood wonder the the most the scariest monsters in the game are the nice grown-ups that are trying to help you mm-hmm. you know they're your parents who are trying to get you to grow up they're the therapists who have been brought in because you keep running off at, at midnight uh and then come back claiming that you were fighting dragons uh you know and all this stuff that no one else around you can see and of course nobody believes uh, because unlike, until they change that later in the game, unlike uh, 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 other uh, transformation games, there is no physicality to to to, the, to your changeling side. There is, mm-hmm. you never transform into a troll, into a she, into whatever you. It's all imaginary to everyone else. You swing your your magic sword, and the imaginary monsters die. But you swing your magic sword through a regular person, and they don't feel a thing. Uh, you know, it's 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 it's. So and the scariest thing there is that, yeah, no matter what you do, it's all going to go away as you get older. And uh, that always kind of stuck with me. That, like, the scariest thing out of all the game, the one thing you, you, you're you never going to defeat is the nice grown-ups trying to get you to join the world, the grown-up world, for your own good. Jesus. Welcome to the that's, world of boring. That's beautiful, yeah. but also very a very good point. Yeah. yeah. I, I love old-school Changeling and... Um, and yeah, that's, uh, it's like a weird inverse of Wraith, yeah. where like Wraith is the first game where you start with the game over tag. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, uh, yeah, um, also, so I feel like unless anybody else is just dying to tell me about how St. Nick is evil. Um, well, I, I, I ran that game. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you, yeah did. you did. That was last year's, uh, that was last year's Christmas game. Right. Where I, I used the Cthulhu rules and made it Santa. Oh yeah, all my games usually have some sort of yes, existential dread. Yeah, something about the monster always is consuming something, but it's not usually blood or anything. It's like memories or love or thought, just experience. Experience. I mean, I even considered having this one monster that, honestly, I just thought about two minutes ago. <laughs> but the idea of it's a fairy tale, like a monster that the entire concept is you are brought into a fairy tale like thing. If you want to. Be fucking Belle and Beauty and the Beast, do the dance, but when you get to the fairy tale, you're no more. It, it drains you of every aspect of humanity in order for it to keep on going, to find another child, to, you know, have the adventure for. 
It's almost like, it, you know, it will give you the greatest adventure you ever wanted as a child uh, or, you know, even as an adult. But by the end of the story, you're dead. You're completely drained. Mm. And nice. so the entire time you're fighting this creature that's giving you everything you want, this fantasy, and you're getting glimpses of the real world and you're trying to escape it. And it's always in your head. Oh, so that's... it's that's, that, that would, I'd, that's what I always love most about it is kind of basically seeing an ecosystem of the monster of where it needs to feed what it feeds on and how that plays out and what it and what it gives the world by feeding and so as you can, as you can see a lot of my monsters usually have that they feed on like memories but they give the world knowledge or they give, you know, they feed on experience and they give the world, you know, an afterlife. It's always about a give or take with them. And that's my, my favorite thing about all monsters. And they also feed on things that you don't know that you can lose. Mm -hmm. Like memories or, 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 or uh, you know, thoughts or dreams, things like that. We, we, we're never prepared to lose those things. They're always with us. They're sometimes burdensome. Uh, but your monsters often... That's the target, is these things that we don't realize we don't want to lose until that's actually a threat. And actually, Billy, um, you had a question about uh, final, uh, uh, final Girl's structure in games? Um, yeah, I mean, an interesting thing is a couple times for the Billyverse, people have recommended me be doing a slasher game. And slasher games are difficult because that's when the GM is specifically targeting players. Uh, instead of a story, which there is a story, but instead of trying to work creatively with a group of people to tell a story you are you're kind of an adversary you are trying to kill people and that's good for some games such as final girl and things like that but it doesn't work uh for role-playing games so i've always found it hard to run a slasher game because of fine the final girl concept which is you know the one person takes on the big bad at the very end yeah and everybody else is usually dead and so while some while some stories out there actually you know have like maybe two or three people be the final girl it generally the it generally is just one person facing off against the big bad and that's a little more difficult for role-playing games because that's not so fun when everybody's dead and you're fighting with the last person you know yeah and it's also inherently like antagonist it's it's, and it's harder i mean if you think about it if there's seven of you and this monster has killed six of you Wow, it must be really strong. How the hell is or is one of you going to take on this thing that's been able to kill an entire party, pretty much? Yeah, and also, what the hell are those six players doing? Exactly, <laughs> they're, like, they're playing like Xbox by this point. So I was just wondering, like, you know, what would you recommend for Final Girls in role playing, or even as is it a good idea to even do a Final Girl? And here's another thing about slashers: the uh, I learned something very interesting about uh, word a couple words uh, yesterday. Um, did you know that terror and horror are two different things? Yeah. Terror is the anticipation of something to come, mm -hmm. and horror is the revulsion of something that has happened. Hmm. And a lot of uh, slasher films rely on terror. And that terror is usually kept a mystery. So imagine if Mike Myles Myers killed one of the kids in the very first five seconds of the film, and everybody saw it and they're running. The entire movie is just about a horror then. It's about them reacting to revulsion. The thing that makes a horror movie really good is terror. 
you you the terror is there a kid's killed and then you start over because no one knows what's happening and with a slasher game that's a little difficult because everybody's metagaming at this point and they know shit's happening or uh if you if I have to, like, if I do attack one of the players, I have to either kill you or we switch from a terror game to a horror game when you can go out and you could reveal what's going on. Uh, and that's kind of, uh, that's why horror games are a little bit difficult for role-playing games and why it relies so much on uh, personal horror, more so than personal terror. Yeah, I mean, there is that one game, The Final Girl, that, yes. that specifically does just that. But really, any other any other system, you're just unless I mean there are some workarounds. Everybody plays multiple characters or something like that. But you're gonna have to hack a system to not make it boring as hell. And also breaking one of you know my personal rules, which is like don't be an antagonist storyteller. Mm. Like don't make it you versus the player. Uh, and so and, and I'll say a system that does something interesting. It still only works for one shots, and it's kind of like the serious cousin to Final Girl because you could totally play a a dead serious straight faced Final Girl game, but it very rarely happens. Uh, especially I think, with us, well, especially with us. But I've played it with other groups, and it usually becomes it, you know it, it's kind of schlocky horror, and um, it's just. It's because there's not one person in charge. I think it's very easy to go for the kind of humorous route. Uh, since you're you're trading um, GM duties, it's difficult to keep one like narrative thread to to build that terror, to build that horror. But uh, a game called Ten Candles does something oh. really interesting because Ten Candles is not a game of uh, they don't call it survive survival horror. It's um, uh, what is it? It's, uh, I don't know. They don't call it survival horror. Candle horror. <laughs> Wax uh, it's, horror. A, it's a game of, tra- it's, it's a game of, um. A tragic horror. Yeah. Tragic horror. Interesting. Um, because by the end of the game, you all will be dead. Hmm. Uh, and so it usually goes into a, a much more serious thread because everybody is dealing with very, like, everybody has dark secrets and you, uh, it's, and you do have just one storyteller who has a really, they have a really interesting mechanic to keep the storyteller from being too antagonistic. Like, the storyteller is definitely there to make things harder for you. But for one thing, generally they're not going to be able to kill you until, like, the very last round of the game. Huh. So it's just like, nope, things are just going to be getting bad for you and worse. And yes, there's this lurking monster um, in the, the game book. It's always just referred to as them. You hmm. know, players, the, the characters don't know what they are at the beginning. And let one person does. And that one person can explain in character, yes, I've seen them, this is what their deal is. Uh, but it'd be really great for doing some sort of, of Michael Myers sort of, of game if you wanted to. But again, it is like, this is not a campaign game. Don't get too attached to these characters because it is explicit. Everybody's dead by the end. That's really cool. So it's kind of like a more upfront version of how we play into the world. Yeah. That's awesome. And I think, honestly, just what you said uh Games like that sometimes get jokey unless it's a very serious setting and the language in the book is specific. Is because we go to see scary movies in darkened theaters or we darken the room and the only thing that takes our attention is the the vision of the of the people who made the film. In a role playing game, that is very difficult to manifest. And generally people role play to have a good time and it's easier to think you had a good or it's easier to know that you had a good time when you laughed than when you 
hopefully stood in silence for something. Yeah. You know, because uh, the sound of bored silence and stunned silence is still silence. Uh, also, that makes for terrible radio. Hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a very good point. Uh, and speaking of terrible radio, thank you very much for listening <laughs> to the Geeky Topics Roundtable Discussion Halloween Edition here at Fanable.com Actual Play Podcast. Uh, so I guess let's let's leave the uh, the Fandigals with a question. Fucking cat! I swear to <laughs> I swear to God. Um, uh, what? Ah, okay. Here's one. Uh, if you're a listener, if you're a long time or short time listener, take a character, any character, uh, from one of our games. What kind of monster would they be? Even if they're already a monster, like children in a Jesus game. What? Uh, like monsters is just immortal. <laughs> just immortal. <laughs> yeah, they're just Highlanders. Uh, yeah. Why are there so many? <laughs> they're not done. There can only be this many. Uh, uh, right, so, uh, yeah, please tell us what kind of monster our characters would be, and have a wonderful and safe Halloween. Not too safe, though. It's fun in that. So, thank you very much for listening, and outro from a Vincent Price uh, impersonator. Oh, no, we don't. No, we, we, sadly, no? no. Okay, okay, good. Uh, outro from uh, some guy, Jesus, here. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the GTRT, where the Fanable crew went together and talked about things that were important to us, and hopefully important to you. If you like the GTRT and all the games we play, please consider giving to our Patreon. With money, we pay for things like web hosting, games tried on a podcast, and effectively more time to do stuff like GTRTs. If you don't have the cash or an iCloud, which is fine because there's algorithms and forums, gives gurus and services like iTunes, or whatever you want to do to get the Fanable word out there, we would love to get more fans like you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.